Welcome to Mind Crime Liberty Show with me, Swithin Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we're again joined by Rick Story to discuss the sexual ethics of a post-Christian society. What are the sexual ethics of, of Christianity? Uh, what is its uh, views on marriage? What is marriage like today? With and how, what should we think about Jeffrey Epstein? What should we think about the age of marriage? These are the kind of things we hope we'll uh, get onto today. So, Tim, open us up, please. So before we talk about the sexual ethics, I'll just make a quick aside about ethics. Um, this isn't the topic of the discussion, but I think it's a point need to be brought up. Um, ethics definition from our friends at Google, our very close friends at Google, is the which I think the definition is perfectly fine, is the moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conduct of activity or the branch of knowledge that deals with moral principles. Um, in both cases, I think that is uh, the ultimate grounding is probably Christianity or some sort of religion. I think um, most, you know, if you ask a sociologist or anthropologist and they're being somewhat honest, that would be the case. Um, that'd be some sort of religion or some sort of philosophy in that regard. So, so this isn't really a discussion of you know what grounds ethics. Um, um, and even the Randians, they should have some sort of meta-ethical position. You could say, well hypotheticals and imperatives. So that's not really discussion. So we'll just sort of assume that ethics exist. There's such thing as a good. Um, now th that's partly in the debate. But nonetheless, um, since this is the West here and the historical heritage of the West and still the probably the dominant culture or its heresies is Christianity. So before we get into like the post-Christian and, you know, the current age, which we're entering, um, you know, whether or not a post-Christian society will actually be particularly stable is of some question. Um, uh, but I, I think we'll start here. What is the sexual ethics of Christianity itself? Um, is Christianity anti-sex and anti-family? Um, so both Paul and Christ, the you know two big figures in you know Christianity, arguably, um, are both single, in uh, particularly when they're in their ministry. Um, um, and there seems to be you know a sort of two strains of evidence, two strains of thought in Christianity. You know, you have the the, the procreation fill the earth. Um, but you also have, you know, the the, you know, the line that Slavoj Zizek always like to bring up that you must hate your mother, sister, brother. Um, um, and there's also a book on Paul that sort of views him as both a feminist and a patriot, you know, a, you know, a, pat a patriarchist or something, whatever word you want to say. And then it's got to be a feature or a bug, depending on one's one's viewpoint. Um, and you do get weird Christian sects like the Oneida group. Um, which had basically polygamy of uh, like it was basically members of what Plato uh, envisions in the Republic, where you just have communal ownership and of 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 every of not only women but to some extent men and children. Um, um, so you do get you get do you get sort of weird derivations, but they're only weird in some sense. And actually, the late Greeks and the late Romans had um, all sorts of strange. Um, uh, behavior based on modern standards, and and as people like you know Marxists would argue is that you know traditional Marxists tended to be rather conservative when it comes to sexual ethics and even using certain things like homosexuality as decadent bourgeois behavior. So I, I'm gonna open up here with Rick. So I mean, so far I made a few comments about metaethics. That's not really a discussion, but um, you know, what do you what do you make of it? Is Christianity anti-sex and anti-family or is it pro-family i mean you get the song of songs um um it was and you get the you know but then again paul talks about accommodation so rick what do you think 
Well, very good questions, Tim. Um, uh, now, I mean, you have to be forgiven for asking such a question, even you know, even though, I mean, you could look at not just Catholic families, but also many Protestants who have large numbers of children. Um, you, you still have to be forgiven for asking, is Christianity anti-sex? Because uh, this is a charge that is brought against it by um, not just those who are more atheistically inclined. Uh, there would be Muslim apologists who would bring a charge like this against Christianity um, and others. And the reason is precisely, as you said, Paul and Christ and obviously a number of other early church figures, um, of, of course, left aside any concerns for marriage, starting a family, and they devoted their, their lives, they devoted all of their energy to their ministry and to spreading the gospel and to ultimately what they saw as, you know, serving God. And this is, of course, where we have uh, monastic orders where um, individuals will be considered to be uh, married to God in a, in a certain sense and devoting their lives um, to good works and obviously to prayer most significantly. And this has, of course, started a number of different sects. I have to be careful how I pronounce that one on this topic, uh, which were Gnostic. You know, everyone's familiar with the, the different Gnostic sects within Christianity, which were very wary, let's just say, of the material world. And uh, to the extent that they would be quite uh, ascetic and have um, very negative uh, views um, about uh, material uh, appetites, bodily appetites, shall we say, including, of course, uh, the urge for sex, for procreation. Um, nevertheless, what we can most definitely say is that although Christ and Paul dedicated their lives uh, to God and spoke very highly of um, setting aside um, any desire to, to marry and to live a, a celibate life serving God, um, nevertheless, uh, the attitude of Christianity is that the material world is not evil. Sex and even the enjoyment of sex is not evil either. Uh, no more than, let's say, fire uh, is. Uh, fire, of course, uh, can be something very dangerous if it's not in its right place, but controlled and in the right place. And then the hearth, it's the centre of the home. It is uh, life giving. It's of tremendous importance and of great spiritual significance. Um, and so in a very similar attitude towards sex is is there. And, um, you know, Christians themselves would be you know, far from the first ones to point out that even within the, the dimensions and certain designs of the, the aesthetics of cathedrals, even there are things that strongly would you know, represent um, even the sexual organs of a woman. Um, you know, it's often pointed out that the, the the archway and the doors to the cathedral or certain aspects of the, the altar space um, are you know, quite representative of, of, of sex organs. Now, this is actually by design. 
these things are seen as you know a place where spiritual life is and so um especially within um catholic aesthetics and especially italian aesthetics um the the human form and yes even um and sex organs and um all of that you know it's it's not seen as anything to necessarily shy away from it's just something that needs to be in its proper place it's not something that is ugly it cannot be beautiful it cannot be a, a a celebration of the divine or or of the goodness of god um i mean really the the key thing to bear in mind it's really very simple after all that i've just said it's really very simple what you have to bear in mind when you think about Christian sexual ethics is that these four things must stand together and they, they can't be separated one from any of the others. So that would be love and marriage, like the song, and of course, sex and procreation. Love, marriage, the act of sex and procreation. In principle, those four things must not be separate. None of them must be separated out from the others. If you have all of them together, what you will have is the basis of the uh, nuclear family, which is the fundamental building block of uh, higher civilization. And um, if any of these things are to be removed, it will ultimately lead to um, uh, degenerations of some kind or another which will uh, threaten the sustainability of uh, civilization and of the individual's human life even. Um, it can cause you know, tremendous problems and pain and ultimately separation from uh, uh, God who is love, who is goodness itself. So I know I've waffled on a bit there, but as much as possible, in a nutshell, it's those four principles together. That, that's the Christian sexual ethic. I would largely agree uh, with Rick, just on the sort of historical points on uh, Paul. Um, there is a stream of thought that says Paul was married at one point and he was probably a widower. Um, secondly, uh, the passage in which he seems to argue that uh, marriage is a con con an accommodation, sorry, um, seems to be in a very specific uh, context that um, they should be like him and not marry, uh, probably due to, well, um, it's not clear what exactly, uh, I'm, there's various interpretations, now, I don't remember which ones they are, but there seems to be some sort of um, of persecution that's going to take place in that time and basically his point is that it, it would be better to be without children and a wife at this time basically um and um so so i think paul is is sort of misread as being more ascetic than he is it is true you do get the ascetics um in the early centuries and also mass monasticism uh, which um does have some merit although to what extent um, monasticism is a good idea or not seems to be a somewhat inter interdenominational dispute which we won't go into but uh, i think rick rick's uh, statement largely is is, is accurate tim i'm going to somewhat push back and somewhat move on to the next question um one of the things that christianity does for better or for worse um is it raises the position of both women and uh 
uh, children. Um, now, the, now I, I have nothing against this. The classical liberals don't have nothing against Misi, Sean, Geb. They have nothing against this per se. Um, um, but and this is actually to a large extent, you know, a strength of sort of historical Western Christian society, a very child-centric society um, in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, this is the early church went after infanticide. But this, as Anwin points out in his sexual his book on um, anthropologists, um, uh, this has raised the status. And, you know, you get this sort of in, in sort of reactionary critiques of Christianity um, that says that Christianity is sort of the cause of feminism to a certain extent. And again, you know, to what extent what it is, it depends on that. Um, but it, it clearly raises the position of women and children. And in the old Roman system, they were basically all the property of the, 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 the uh, father, um, including the sons as well. Um, so in that regard, I mean, you could argue that 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 if you if you think um, of now you could say, you argue that it's a perverse system, and arguably it is. Most people today, um, not just you know, particularly the left, who oftentimes critiques Christianity for being patriarchy, would argue that the Roman system was much worse. And I would tend to agree with them in that regard. Um, but but if your goal is to create you know family on that grounds, um, maybe that's not goal is Christianity. Um, so what do you make about the raising of 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 the status of children and women um, now? You could, does that end up in does that end up into some Gloria Steinin, you know, type scenario we have today where they have my body, my choice? Who knows? Um, but I do think I do think it's you could, you could crack some line into there, whether how strong that is or whether how much people would agree with that. So I'll start Rick with that question. Um, um, to what extent is the raising of children and, and women, as I stated, it's, it's largely a positive, especially if the children are no more infanticide and so far. Rick? Well, certainly, I, I think it's I think it's unarguable that Christianity uh, did raise uh, the, the status of children and women in a very specific sense. So you, you're quite right. Uh, in the Roman system, you had the paterfamilias. Um, the father was the head of uh, the household, but there was also a very strongly religious aspect to this as well. As the head of the household, he, he was the one who maintained the household fire in the hearth and um, Therefore, he was the one who had communion with the ancestors and and this would pass on to his eldest son. And so the, the household had a very religious aspect to it. And the the, the father in the household was you know, even under Roman law, um, quite a tyrant. Um, and now this, of course, led to um, instances where fathers were brutal they brutalized their their family their women and and, and their, their wives and their children uh, they could treat them as their own property and they could misuse abuse that property um you know that word, very word brutalize uh, comes from a a roman figure who indeed executed his sons uh, when he became suspicious that they may have betrayed uh, betrayed him um and of course he was free to do so um, so where Christianity entered, this was then to say, well, hold on a moment. A woman and a child have their own individual soul. And so they are ultimately responsible for their own actions uh, before God. And they are also made in the image of God. They have their own life to lead as well. So, yes, um, it uh, desires to preserve the order of the father in the home. 
However, as with everything, one's property, one's family, um, these are things that have been given. They are gifts from God, and we are simply stewards in this life to use our property and to uh, nurture those around us, even our neighbours, toward the common good. And so this simply would not do um, to be um, abusing your own family in this way. And one of the significant aspects of this was that um, women, of course, uh, were in well, no, women were able to make an oath, uh, you know, the, the, the marital oath. They, they were able to decide ultimately at the altar before the priest whether they would agree, whether they would say, I do, to marry a certain man. They could, of course, refuse. Um, now, that whether the social politics would really allow them to, whether they were coerced in some instances or not. Uh, that's a separate matter. Nevertheless, this was a huge step forward. And um, uh, what was the other thing I was about to say? Ah, yes. So also um, uh, women could uh, go to a court, a church court. They, they suddenly had legal recourse against their husband if their husband um, became a brute. And um, so children, women and children, uh, you know, now had a certain uh, safety mechanism uh, to prevent uh, men from abusing their family um, in the same way that, uh, um, you know, Christianized Rome and the Christianized West would also seek to prevent uh, misuses of uh, property contrary to the common good as well. Um, a good book that I would recommend to listeners on this is a book called uh, Inventing the Individual by Larry Sedentop. I've basically stolen everything I've just said uh, from that book, but for further reading on the matter, I would recommend that one. I think that's, uh, again, largely true, although I would say, uh, especially on the theological aspects of um, the soul of children and women, um, the paterfamilias did De, uh, decrease in its power, at least according to J.D. Unwin, from the time of the Roman Republic to the Empire. And so the the control of the father and his household did diminish somewhat uh, over those time periods. And also um, there were certain periods, say in the Greek times, in which women of certain of hus uh, wives of aristocrats actually had a significant amount of power um, even if it wasn't, um, I'm not sure sure how the Greek system worked, uh, but certainly they, they weren't sort of having modern rights as feminists, as it were. Um, so much so, I think, from the right, these readings, uh, Solon is apparently to have put a, um, a law in place to basically restrict how much money women were spending on clothes and other things because they were wasting their husband's money. Um, so uh, they can't have had too little power in such uh, circumstances. Uh, although I would say it is largely true, although I do think the classical uh, periods are a, a little, they were like that for times, but not all of the times. Um, that's why I'd nuance there, really. Tim? To the extent the classical period is like that, I would, I would in general take the position um, that the classical, the, the Greeks are, um, you know, especially with you know, Thomas Aquinas and, 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 and Augustine for taking, you know, uh, Greek thinkers and mixing them theologically. So I'd argue they're, they're to a large extent heirs 
our society. I've said this before. I mean, we're not we're not we're not heirs from Aztecs. Um, um, you know, the buildings in, in you know, I'm in the United States. The buildings in Washington D.C. are not modeled after them. They're modeled after Roman buildings or Greek buildings, actually, to be precise. Um, um, so, so in that regard, I, I think they're sort of closely correlated uh, uh, on its first uh, theological. So I, I do think there's a big influence on Greek thought. Um, um, now, people like Tertullian and others, you know, might dis- disavow what have Jerusalem in common with Athens and, and so forth. Um, so maybe that's maybe the influence of Greeks is unwarranted there. But nonetheless, I do generally um, agree with you, both of you to a large extent. But I, I think at times the reactionaries who make the critic that, that, that you know, that Christianity creed that have some amount of truth. Um, um, and it, 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 it does develop in that way um, um, as a stepping. So you, you climb up, up a building, you throw the ladder away. Um, you know, and then you, know, you get to a new, a new height. You, 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 that ladder might have had some usage there, but uh, and we see this sort of down. I think the term is, uh, uh, you know, unloading, um, you know, what uh, certain institutions. Um, and you even get this uh, <clears throat> recently. Thaddeus Russell was interviewing. I think I want to say his name right. Daniel McCarthy of TAC, uh, and, and Thaddeus was saying was asking like, you know, is Burke is Burke, you know, a creeping? Um, is a Burke a uh, is Burke a closeted postmodernist like him? Because you know, if you just keep doing, changing things generation over generation, uh, if you just keep doing gradual changes, you know, eventually you can you can end up with that. And I I think there's a point to me, but the, the the quick way to distinguish is that well, that's clearly not the case, and I, that that to a large extent I think extinguishes it. Although although. You know, you know, natural law or something that could actually come up. Like you know, this, would, you know, the groups that produce the most children will, in the end, fill the earth. So, so, so that actually might be the decider. That's sort of like that's almost a proto-Darwinian idea. Although the Darwinians would always poo-poo anyone who said that. Um, but we've largely moved out of Christianity um, um, to that. Um, so I'm going to move on to the next part here. And, and as far as the actual mechanics of it, of the, you know, the, the rules, laws, or mores surrounding it. So what ought to be the legal age of marriage? Um, and for that matter, um, sex. Um, I mean, th- this Walter Block, and this Walter Block sometimes gets parody for this. He always brings up this. this is, I love this continuum problem he has. You know, you see, take an 18-year-old, you minus one day. Okay, 17 years, 364 days. You know, if um, if someone has... You know, if a if an adult male or occasionally happen, it, it does happen the other way around as people like Miley Annapolis happens. Um, um, if an, if someone has you know sexual relations with that 17 year old 364 day, they're a statutory rapist. Now you can keep you can keep you can keep doing this sort of continuum problem of subtracting one day or even one minute, and you end up with a 10 year old. Um, now, so this is this is the nature of continuum problems. Like now you could you could you could root it in biology, but everyone's biology is a little different. Um, um, people uh, become functional at different ages. Um, 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 and then this is, again, where Christianity, from my understanding, like when the British Empire went into uh, India, uh, you know, people like to bring up the baggage of the British Empire. Um, um, but nonetheless, I think, you know, you, you know, there are a lot more perverse sexual relations that existed in Roman Roman systems or sort of the, a parody of the Christian system that you could, you could generate. Um, um, so so uh, it is true that, you know, so what exactly ought to be the age then of marriage? And then, as Rick pointed out, the I do, the voluntary. 
Um, now, you could, you could say that sex should all occur in marriage. Um, what, one could argue that as well. So those are my, I'm going to start off here with Rick here. So what do you make of the continuum problem and sort of the legal, you know, the sort of legal framework around there? And then what do you make of the, um, in general, the, um, uh, the age of consent in that regard? And, and should sex occur outside of it? Does, is the Bible actually condone sex out there? It does condone fornication of some variety. Um, uh, of some variety. I'm well aware of that. Um, so, Rick. Well, again, I would uh, look at this through the lens of the Christian ethics, where we have those four, uh, those four, um, four things that have to be held together: love, marriage, sex, and procreation. Now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar with cultures around the world where. Uh, you know, a, a a girl will be of the age of perhaps you know, say, 11 years old, and she will uh, she'll have her first period, and they will say, uh, "Ah, you've become a woman now." Um, the reason they're saying it, obviously, it's it's very clear to us is that we end the, from that point, she is now. Technically capable of procreation. Um, if 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 the act of sex occurs, and then there is a, a chance that yes, she will fall pregnant. Um, now I, I think we have to be careful here because you know this does not necessarily mean that it is appropriate in different contexts around the world for girls of the age of 11 or even the age of nine, perhaps, where, uh, you know, girls could perhaps have their first period for them to then be engaging in the act of sex and then opening them up to potentially uh, becoming pregnant and to giving birth and then to have then having the, the duties of a mother thrust upon them. Um, why not? Well, again, love has to be in the equation here. Love, marriage, as well as sex and procreation. There's, you know, tremendous responsibility that would be put upon uh, this girl. You know, we would use that term girl in our Western context um, if she were to become a mother. And so certainly what what we would perhaps ideally want is for uh, to then at least be married uh, so that there would be um, some um, protective caretaker, you know, a husband uh, typically in her life to enable her to be able to care for the child properly and to devote the, the proper time, attention, energy and emotion uh, to that to that baby. Um, now, if we're to say, well, OK, that's fair enough. You, you, you want to be loving towards this person. Well, couldn't, couldn't all of that still be in place at the age of 11? Well, think about, for instance, the context of the early Victorian period. Now, people had been enculturated and perhaps uh, evolved in a certain extent uh, to the point where um, girls were having their periods really very late, um, e even up to their late teens, um, sometimes as late as perhaps, you know, 17, 18 years old. Um, 
this was when they were becoming women as you know as it's described in certain other cultures um now we've settled on this age of 18 as when one is an adult and in the uk uh, my own context um the age of consent for sexual relations is 16. those are the ages that we've just settled on and we've just um not quite so arbitrarily but just decided upon um does this mean that um you know in an, an american context where i understand you know the age of consent is a bit different but you know if a girl is uh, 17 that she is totally a child she's completely incapable of making any of these sorts of decisions for herself she doesn't really know what she's doing she doesn't know what she's getting herself in for um does it necessarily mean that? Well, no, we understand that it doesn't necessarily mean that. I do think that we need to look at the cultural context that we're talking about. Um, we, we need to understand generally where are the people at? Because as I've just explained, um, girls can go through puberty and, and have their first period at different stages in their life. Um, depending on what context we're talking about and I think that part of you know part of the equation where we have where we have love there I think it's to understand that the parents of this of this girl woman have to understand where she is at in her life the the the, the this this man who were to come along and you know be some kind of um, suitor some marital prospect he has to determine um, whether it is in the best interest of this person to get into a marital relationship with them, to be having sex and potentially to be procreating and presenting this uh, woman with the, the duties of, of motherhood. Is it really in their best interest? Um, uh, again, what uh, the Christian ethic is very wary of is at any point to simply be making a sexual object out of out of the girl slash woman. Um, so uh, yes, I, I, I think I'll I think I'll, I'll leave it there. But I, I think uh, adding love into the equation is uh, very important in order to understand. Um, how the Christian ethic is to be applied across different cultural contexts. I would agree um, the love aspect is uh, very important, as it were, in a more uh, ideal way that um, marriage and sex um, would or should work. Um, my approach uh, is slightly different. Um, I think it's an interesting question on, on the legality uh, rather than primarily on sort of the ideal situation, because you, you do have odd cases, um, you know, uh, to some extent, you know, you, you get the claims that Jeffrey Epstein is a paedophile, for example, which given at least the type of girl who was on his island seems not to be particularly accurate. Um, so, for instance, the um, other cultures around the world, he said women can, uh, girls can get married after their first period. Um, I mean, at least sort of procreation is is it principle possible at that point? And so that kind of 
is makes to some extent sense makes to some extent some sense as an, as, an, as a marital age or an age of consent to some extent um whereas before then it clearly doesn't um so um I, I think the term sort of paedophile is uh, is used far 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 too broadly i think paedophilia uh, understood correctly is most is is best used to describe those uh who are um who cannot in principle procreate so that's boys before certain uh, functional abilities uh and the same for the girls uh, rather uh jeffrey epstein to some extent would seem to be an ephebophile um which is uh you know attracted to i can't remember the exact definition it's sort of adolescent it's sort of mature to some extent but not necessarily entirely physically but certainly uh, beyond the point of, uh, well, at least at the point of uh, procreative ability. Um, so I was thinking, you know, what, what, what sort of consistent standard could one use for um, uh, marital age? Um, and again, to the view that the whilst it's true that um, in certain cultures, do you take the age of which first period and that kind of makes some form of sense? Biologically speaking, it's almost certainly going to be particularly bad uh, to have a child at that age because the rest of the body is not fully mature. I think uh, a more, uh, probably a better criterion would be um, sort of, hmm, should we should call it sexual maturity, maybe a good idea. So, you know, you, you get the hips out to the certain, to that sort of that, um, the adult size, uh, full breast um development etc that would seem to be a reasonable criterion to use now of course you may have some mental as a presumption obviously there may be mental uh aspects there which are not fully formed but as a go-to you might assume if you're if you're bodily mature then you are mentally mature at least from a, a legal standpoint i think would be a, a reasonable criteria and so i think in the uk's context 16 is is reasonable and others in america um even though you're saying there's a child at 17 in the south uh back in 60 or before the war some girls got married at 14 and until relatively recently uh the earliest marriage age in spain was 14. so um taking a particular age is to some extent arbitrary and i think that would be a a better uh criterion and uh, yeah let's say with, with the uh, jeffrey epstein stuff i mean the the girls in commas who were there seem to be to well maybe there's massive dynamic but i think some of them would know exactly what was going on and they seem to uh uh like all the stuff that was thrown at them uh while they were there this isn't to say jeffrey Epstein is a good guy uh but just to uh to describe what i think most accurately is the um the perceptions of those involved to a large extent now i'm no expert i could be wrong uh, but th but that would be my broad uh, take on sort of age of marriage tim one thing related to epstein which i think needs to be brought up here which is actually christianity which you know the uh, is the is um is the the impulse i can't think of the word but the um the idea of not having the idea of having a permanent marriage in a way, um, I think anyone takes this um, is in a way equalizes the marketplace and to a certain extent, um, you know, because you get high status men um, divorcing their wives or just finding younger models, so to speak. Um, so in this regard, uh, marriage in a way um, um, 
uh, harms men, um, harms high status men later on, um, and um, uh, it, it does put them into, a, it does put women possibly into a, a less, so there's a certain ways in which Christianity has raised the status by not having divorce or not having divorce in a sort of, uh, you know, for frivolous reasons or reasons to sort of get a different model. Um, so and this is this is again a sort of you can make this sort of like a masculinist critique of Christian marriage rules. You know, you get you have to you get to say married the same woman all the day. That's a problem if you're, you know, an extremely high status aristocratic or male or something like that. Um, it's a not it's a it's a it's a more monogamous you know the iron rule of monogamy so to speak. Uh, uh, that's the word I'm trying to think of. Um, so in that regard, you know, the Jeffrey Epstein was clearly you know you know, all sorts of you know, high status, wealthy men. Now, there could be blackmail accusations there, too. Uh, um, but, I mean, you, you could argue this is just like, and, and the women clearly got, you know, I'm well aware there are, air quote, prostitute women that are in, in bad situations. You don't need to remind me of that. Um, but, you know, it's quite clear that some of them are choosing in theory. And this also shows up in, interestingly, like libertarian debates over the legalization of prostitution. And you get strange coalitions of for people forming. You have you have feminists who are against prostitution um, for what I would argue are purely Christian reasons. Um, and if you just start reading some, you know, you know, reactionary critiques of Christianity, I would argue they are Christian reasons. <laughs> I think the Social Democrats. Uh, I don't. I. I don't. You know, whether you take a figure like, um, you know, left wing Christian like Cornel West, yes, and do you support um, people paying for sex? I think he would clearly say no. Um, um, you can hate Cornell's West or dislike him for whatever other reasons, but nonetheless, um, I, I think there's a certain extent which, you know, on legalization of prostitution, that shows up. Of course, interestingly, Thomas Aquinas for the, uh, well, he knew it was a vice, but he shouldn't um, go after. As a libertarian, then I'm very suspicious of the state labeling anything as, I'm very suspicious of the state labeling anything. And I, I to some extent, experience this myself. I mean, the current um, state probably views you know, you know, classically, even 100 years ago, if you took your, if you if you let your kids walk to school by themselves, you, the state's not going to call you a child abuser. Um, um, but now you might be able to do, you know, or if you do dangerous sports uh, like, you know, archery or like or like, um, um, you know, certain forms of climbing, you know. I, I think I think it's perfectly reasonable to let kids do those things. But if you're this nanny state, less so. So I'm very suspicious of that. So I'm going to pass this question over to you, Rick. And it's sort of a hybrid of a question. But you see this show up in libertarian circles and sometimes conservative, which I think you're much more sympathetic, if not an outright one. Uh, I'll make this, you know, critique of like, you know, the legalization of prostitution, legalization of that. So it seems like what Jeffrey Epstein is doing. He's running a high-class brothel, um, 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 really. That, 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 that to me is really what it seems like doing. There are probably people there against their will. Um, um, but this is, again, where Christianity, for all the critiques made at divorce, um, in, a, in a way, you know, puts the genie, keeps the genie in the bottle, so to speak. You know, the alternatives are, are probably much worse um, 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 and and so far. So, Rick, what, what do you make of my comments regarding that? Are, are they are they to a extent true? Well, I would largely agree with uh, most of what you said there, Tim. Um, uh, particularly, uh, I, I like where you said that um, 
Uh, and I, I would add to the list, actually, that the left and various other folks who don't even realize it, they're actually uh, applying uh, Christian ethics um, when they're developing you know, various um, ideas about things. They're, they're so enculturated into Christian ethics, as we all are in the West um, and throughout Europe and into Russia, etc. Um, that, uh, you know, and also these things are very intuitive. You know, there, there is a reason why um, Christianity teaches these things. It's because it, we, we feel these things. We have a sense of these things being wrong. And um, uh, they don't uh, that they don't work with the natural order of things. You know, when when things are thrown out of balance and they negatively affect the family and the, the fabric of society itself seems to fall apart. Um, and uh, as well as, of course, these things being taught in Scripture, you know, having been uh, revealed to us and nailed down, um, you, you know, there are there is also a place for the, the traditional uh, feeling uh, one's way through these things, working through issues over the centuries. And uh, yes, I mean, th th these are the ethics that we have to apply. What I also liked what you said there, Tim, and I think really for me. Uh, the way I see it, th this is the crux of the problem here. You said that uh, men might trade in their woman for a younger model, their wife even, divorce them, uh, so break the, the, the vow that they made until death do them part, and then to um, trade them in for a younger model. Now, that's the term, of course, we would use for a car. It, it is a wife. Um, you know, some that we befriend ultimately and set out on a journey through our lives to raise a family um, and to do good by each other. Um, is that the same as buying a car? Instinctively, we know it is simply not. This is not how we behave. We do not uh, live our everyday lives treating each other as though the people that we're interacting with have no meaning. And so there is no essential um, goodness uh, and, and, and uh, uh, a, a, a genuine rational relationship and one even of love to be developed with the other people that we meet in our lives. We simply do not behave this way. And so instinctively we realise that to be objectifying women as mere sex objects, there is something wrong about it. Uh, we might find it very uh, attractive and alluring and enticing at certain times, but when it's highlighted by something like, you know, Jeffrey Epstein and his island, his seedy, dirty island, see, that's how it feels. We start to use words like dirty. When we see, you know, an in some cultures, an eight-year-old girl being married off to an 80-year-old man, we, we, we immediately recognise oh, there's something very wrong here, and we call him a dirty old man, and we say, oh, that poor, innocent young girl, oh, the poor thing. We talk about her like she's, you know, some cornered little animal that's about to be uh, devoured. Um, and it is dirty. Why is it dirty? What is dirty about it? What's wrong with it? Well, 
ultimately I have to come back to, and I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but it's those four principles which really um, do go together. If we're, if we're to have any um, sustainable um, nuclear families in a society and uh, we are to come together in any sort of sustainable fashion, then we must recognize that love is part of the equation. Love, marriage, sex and procreation. The, the reason it's 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 bad that those girls were there at Jeffrey Epstein's island is, well, yes, of course, they weren't there to get married and to spend the rest of their lives together happily. No, the, the girls were there to simply be used as objects. The men were, and you know, forgive me for being a bit graphic here, the men were doing very little more than using those, girl, those girls as a tool to simply masturbate. That's effectively all that was going on there. Um, and likewise, you know, with the 80 year old man in my example, knowing this young eight year old girl, well, okay, one might, might be able to put together an argument to say, oh, well, love knows no bounds, um, age is only a number. But really, is this 80 year old man so desperately in love with this eight year old girl that they simply must marry each other? Or is it that she has a very, very young body, youth is attractive to men, and he simply wants the use of her body to satisfy sexual urges? Love, Christian love, the love that we understand, because the three of us, frankly, have been enculturated in a Western context, when we think about uh, love, we, we think about it in terms of there's an unconditional, self-sacrificial, not selfish aspect uh, to this. Is there any of that sort of love in in those examples? Clearly, we know there's not. And it is repulsive to us. This is why we end up using words like dirty old man. Dirty man, you know, we're happy to have a, a, a label like paedophile thrown at Jeffrey Epstein, whether it's accurate or not. We just like that it's a negative word and it's being slapped on his face and we want to see him punished. And we and we, we say good to ourselves when we see that he's died in prison, um, clearly not killed himself, clearly been killed by another. Um, and and we we say it's a good thing when when paedophiles are being uh, murdered uh, by other inmates who, despite having quite blackened souls themselves and having committed crimes, nevertheless, they are so repulsed by the man who would simply use what they perceive to be a child as a sex object. They see that as behavior that is far too base to be allowed in society. It's, it's far too damaging to everything that anyone would hold dear. It is, it is um, what can I say, too uh, insulting to anything that we would hold sacred. And so they, they, they kill these sorts of men in, in, in prison. And we all mutter to ourselves, oh, well, good, he deserved it. That, that, that's how we feel about it. Whether that's right or, or wrong, that we, we think and say those things is a different matter. But instinctively, 
that's how we feel about it. And I would say it is simply because you have removed love from the equation. You have turned this girl into a sex object. And it is rife in our society. You know, the feminists do it as well, Tim. The feminists are applying Christian principles, Christian sexual ethics, when they say, oh, don't objectify women. Well, why not? Why not? If we're, if we're to be materialists, then why not? Why is it so wrong that in the Japanese restaurant you can eat your steak off the naked body of a young girl and use her as a table, as an actual object? Why is that wrong? Uh, without Christian ethics or, or some kind of, how can I put it, idealistic um, virtue ethics, um, without something like that, how can you really say that that's wrong? I think an interesting aspect here um, that the, the feminists typically miss is that um, now you could say that they're, they're down on their their money, and so this is what they have to um, have to uh, stoop to. But it is very true that young, attractive girls, some of them have uh, very little concern with flaunting their, their physical prowess uh, in return for money. Um, this is why Donald Trump didn't find it particularly difficult to find any young, attractive women. Um, did they particularly care that, they, that the guy loved him? No, just gave him stuff. Uh, and I think this is something which is um, he's missed a lot of the time in uh, feminist um Critiques and some of the Christian ones as well. You see that it is solely the predatory male who is taking advantage of these poor naive girls, when in fact I think in many cases uh, they know full well what they're doing and they enjoy the attention and the money. Um, I think that cannot uh, be discounted uh, in these cases. Um, and but yes, when it comes to sort of uh, massive age uh, age gaps, yes, uh, you could consider that somewhat dirty. Although um, then the, the interesting question is, I think the love point is is, is a good point. Uh, there was an interesting case, hmm, was the RE teacher who was like 40 something, who then married his, his, um, his pupil, I think she was 16 or 18. He think he divorced his current wife. Um, now, I don't know if I still together. I don't remember. Um, but interesting, that seemed to have um, some. But from what they claimed, at least, they did seem to love each other, um, which is, uh, I think, an interesting uh, case, because whilst it's not the, sort of the same as a dirty old man, those things tend to be frowned upon in general. Now, obviously, the fact that there's a teacher is an issue. And also that I think the guy divorced his wife. But uh, it would be interesting. Um, it just seems to be the case today that um, people think, you know, if a guy is like in his 50 or whatever and marries like a, an 18 or a 19 year old, that that's somehow wrong and dirty, which seems um, odd from historical point of view, because age gaps. Uh, well, I think age gaps were accepted more more earlier. You have the half age plus seven, which tends to sort of. Uh, go around a bit as a as an acceptable age gap difference um but I, I think the reason people tend to think it's dirty and wrong is probably for rick's reason although the question is in practice is it in all cases and i think that's some, somewhat uh less easy to determine uh tip 
I think Swithin, your comment about uh, that some of them want it for money um, is is obviously true. Uh, is obviously true. Um, and this this is where this is where things is this where you get into like eight um, D political theory chess here, where you know the political lines don't don't seem to make um, any sense, and the the the, the phenomena are very much convoluted. The the battle lines are very much convoluted. Um, um, because you, you sort of have pro-sex feminists and you have anti-sex feminists, and of course you have pro-sex Christians and anti-sex Christians, um, and then you have pro pro money and market Christians and anti-money and market Christians. So you have like six axes, you have three axes working, um, and you have six like you have lots of different um, positions on um, the respective uh, position uh, respective things. Um, and, get, and of course you get sort of like the you know the, you get weird combination where you have like you know Paul Gottfried is, and Frankfurt School Marxists have the same view on like, uh, on like, on, on like prostitution and consumers sex. Like that, like that, 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 that would seem surprising by normal views, but by like, but by that view, um, that that starts making more sense. Um, you know, Chronicles magazine and those things like that. Um, so I do, I, I do, I do think the your points about, but that certain women, you know, want it. Um, and so to speak, uh, and, and Michael Malice was sort of commenting hilariously that, um, you know, uh, there's the uh, WAP, this popular song that's on the radio. He said that, you know, you know, she uh, every time that song gets played on the radio and sung by their uh, by uh, little girls, um, uh, um, soccer moms debate. Uh, Michael Malice was commenting that soccer moms debate going joining Al Qaeda or ISIS. Um, um, so yeah, there is. And that just brings up this whole cuties controversy where you have um, a show where, where child actors, which any normal definition of, uh, you know, you, you get into the weeds here of pornography or, or, or sexual objects, it's, it's quite clear to a large extent. Um, and this is where, uh, I, I'm, before I get to Rick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass this back to Swithin because this was... Swithin was somewhat interested in this topic. Um, and you get people like Ted Cruz wondering if they're, you know, the child actors were, um, 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 you know, child abuse, um, uh, you know, even having them in the show, even having them in the show. So, so Swithin, um, you have some questions and thoughts on this. Um, what, what's your general take on the sort of cuties controversy regarding that? I mean, we can contextualize everything, but this this was a quite interesting one, Swithin. Well, I, I didn't watch it. I, I, I saw some clips for research purposes, um, although that didn't get Pete Townsend off. Uh, you may get that joke, but you may not. Um, so I just said that, I mean, from what, from what I read about it, it seems to be the case that the, um, the director wanted to show that um, sexualization of children was bad, but in so doing, sexualized children. Um, so, yes, it didn't seem to be a particularly well thought through or savoury show. Now, whether or not you can take what the director said at face value is another question, and whether or not it was an excuse to um, sexualise children and claim that you were against it whilst showing it. Um, but the, 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 the two interesting questions, I think, for me here was, is it child pornography? And Ted Cruz I think, wanted someone to investigate where it was. Um, the pornography debate is an interesting on when does art end and pornography start it's a this is sort of a notoriously um difficult topic to determine a priori 
what the grounds were. But from at least the parts I saw, it would seem to be stretching the definition of pornography very widely. Now, interestingly, as an aside on that, um, I the reason why it's interesting because I, I was fed up with people using the term child pornography and paedophile all the time. Because I was like, I don't even know what it means. Uh, there, there was a scale that they now unfortunately use a a more um, unclear uh, scale. Uh, these are called the Copine scale in, in, in England, and it had various severities of, of uh, child pornography on. And the level one was just actually compiling fully clothed pictures of children, uh, but were but uh, may indicate interest. And that actually was considered child pornography, which seems a very odd definition of child pornography, especially when it was just regular pictures of children just put together. So that was... I always thought that was strange. And they still basically use that. Uh, I think basically for anything that people tend to think child pornography would be, I think it has to be like four or five on the Copine scale. I, I can't remember the precise it's a Wikipedia Copine scale and you can see what's, um, well, fortunately you can't see it, but you can read what the scales are um, on there. Um, so that, that big moment. So yeah, it seems to be very odd to say that it's pornography. It clearly isn't, I don't think, unless you want to use the term very broadly. And then it raised my interest is um, when does bad parenting parenting become uh, abuse in a legal sense? You know, uh, were these parents um, should they be legally legally liable in some way for allowing their children to engage in this uh, program? Um, I mean, I think given the show, it's I think it's pretty clear that yeah, it's a bad idea. You shouldn't have put your children to do that. But then the question arises: Well, should you have any legal sanction? Uh, and the way I tend to try and view, I think you need a relatively high bar to intervene in what parents do with their children. And um, now I haven't fully worked out what I think that bar ought to be, but they were, full, to a large extent, fully they were fully clothed. They simulated things, but was that um, was that so bad that it would warrant um, because? Again, the, the question is here as well is, you know, what kind of sanctions can you put on the parents which don't then harm the children? This is always an issue if you try to intervene uh, with what parents do with the children. So a related, though, different matter entirely. There was a case recently in England in which um, they a judge ordered uh, two teenage children to be taken away from their mother on the grounds of neglect because they were too fat. Uh, now, did the mother model and show good eating habits? No. But were the children, were the children be better off with their mother or are they going to be better off not with their mother? That would seem to be a relevant factor here. And I think that's um, one of the reasons why I go, well, well, well no, this shouldn't be child abuse uh, in, in, in a sense of legally actionable, because it, it would still seem to be the case, I think, without any other information, that these girls would probably be better off still with their mother and, and father, hopefully, as well. Um, so those were sort of the the, the general thoughts um, that, that that I had with respect to the uh, cutest thing when it was on a, a few months ago. I can't remember the precise date. Is that clear, Tim? Yes, yes, that's clear. Um, Rick, what, what what's your general um, take on this? I mean, this this one of the interesting the thing that interests me is the outrage uh, about it, um, and also the outrage about Jeffrey um, Epstein as well. Um, now again, this this is sort of a meta ethical point to a certain extent. Um, in that regard, I, I generally agree with the sort of Nietzsche and Sternite view. If, if, if Christianity is not true, it's something like some sort of like a world of no ethics or whatever it might make right, something like that. 
uh, um, well, where they precisely argue that. But I think you can get there pretty quickly. But one thing that interests me about this is the outrage, um, the outrage, um, um, or the non-outrage, and the defenses of it. So you get this. This, this is one of those 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 news controversies that didn't go away. It sort of just sort of just floated around. Um, it, it, it's an odd show to have. Uh, it's an odd show to have. Um, I'd be really interested to see what you know what would would, would have been in the take you know even 50 years ago. I mean, there, there's a there's a strange sort of decadent nature to the show, and there's just but there's there's also I, I I don't think it's I don't think any feminist would any historical feminist would call this liberation. Although I'll, they oh they may, maybe they would maybe they would. So so who knows? So so Rick, what what's your take on this um, controversy? Well, Tim, uh, you said, I wonder what the reaction would be uh, 50 years ago. Uh, I think it's entirely possible that the people involved in making that film, not the children, of course, uh, may have been lynched or something like that. And just to be perfectly blunt, I would not have stopped them. Um, the outrage, why is there the outrage? Well, Swithin made an excellent point before when he said that, well, you know, uh, these young women uh, who are, you know, flaunting their bodies and, you know, inviting, inviting men to use them as sexual objects in return for money, um, they, you know, they they should be treated, you know, just as guilty, just as guilty according to this uh, Christian ethic, which informs so much of this conversation. And yes, you know, I, I would agree. You know, I, I would say uh, again that, um, uh, you know, women and, and, and children, again, they were considered to be um, uh, capable of making their own decisions and, and they had a moral duty before God to use their body and their lives and the people around them and the, the things around them, their property and all of this, to the glory of, of God, to, to, towards goodness, towards the common good. And um, yes, so uh, the, I agree with Swiven, you know, the, the, the women in the situation we were talking about before have a responsibility. That doesn't detract, of course, from them having a father over them. Um, but but it, what happens then is the, the father is, is told, look, you have a duty to be a good father. Uh, you, you do not have some right to kill and abuse, abuse your, your children. Uh, again, you, you have a duty to raise your children to their good and towards the, the, the common good of the society around them. I mean, all, all the families that make up the rest of the society outside of your own home. Um, and you see, that is where the outrage comes from, Tim. That, that, that's where it comes from, because where you have um, a group of people, you know, the, the parents allowing their children to be involved in this cuties film, sending their daughters off to uh, be scantily clad and to perform all sorts of highly sexualized dances which uh, i mean to, to someone who is attracted to children sexually i mean i can only suppose that yeah i mean that would have to get them off surely um 
and you know the producers the director all, all the people involved in the making of that film what they were doing was presenting those girls and we can properly say girls in this instance um as sexual objects on camera throughout a film the fact that at the end of the film you say oh well you know i guess being sexually objectified isn't that great is about as helpful as a smoking kills sticker on a packet of cigarettes frankly it's useless everybody knows that already we already know that it's wrong the the point that was that you you, you had something where children were highly sexualized on camera it's put on netflix and this is where the outrage comes from me as a father other fathers who have this duty to be a good father and to raise their children for their own good towards their own good and towards the common good what you have is them flooding into your living room a particular message which is if young young girls if if you are very sexualized and you perform very uh, racy dances and try to entice men in the same way that those girls on Jeffrey Epstein's island did um, you will be attractive you look look at these girls on the screen they've they've made it at their age at that age they have made it to the big screen um, through doing this sort of behavior and of course it, it, it goes without saying that Hollywood is um, full of sexual debauchery. Uh, this is how so many uh, girls, women, end up on screen. It's through, uh, you know, it's 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 on you know, Harvey Weinstein's couch. It's it's, it's on the casting couch. Um, and again, what do we dislike about this? Okay, it's it's because you are encouraging women or even children. To think of themselves as sexual objects and to and to see that as being a good way ahead to say that it has no effect on children is utter nonsense it is utter nonsense we are all of us enculturated by the the families that we are born into by the the the, the, the country and the general culture that we are born into the language that we you know necessarily acquire as we are growing um, we're enculturated in many different ways and uh, in no small part is this the case with uh, television and with movies and with music and this movie had it all it had uh, all of the highly sexualized music that is uh, marketed towards yes children uh, and uh, it had these young girls appearing to be very successful, appearing to be um, the way ahead, the way to get ahead, uh, to get attention for oneself, um, performing those sorts of dances. And what's repulsive about it is that uh, not only are these girls made into sexual objects at an age where, you know, it couldn't possibly be any worse, but it's that um as the father this is happening then to your daughter whom I, I suppose if you feel the same way as i do you love very much and you want to protect and you you want to see them grow towards their optimum good and you would love for them to live in a society 
which also cared about that sort of thing and also wanted to see their their optimum good as well. Um, that's that's where the outrage comes from. Um, it's a societal thing. It's a, a familial thing. Um, and I cannot imagine what outside of just uh, money, the money involved, would have possessed those parents to allow them, uh, their children, to be involved in the making of that film. It is. It is a strange event. Um, it is a strange event. Uh, the the outrage to me is always interesting because in some ways it reveals, um, you know, Dallas Willard or Christian apologists. It reveals the underlying Christian sympathies in much of our culture, for better or for worse. Um, um, this even shows up with much of the outrage to like Donald Trump. Um, um, although 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 with that it, it it's tricky to a certain extent. I mean, people were critiquing that Donald Trump has three wives, and I was always like. Is divorce a good thing or a bad thing? So you know, if you if you if you're pro divorce, then this is the society you'll probably get. Um, you'll get people like Trump um, having three wives. Now again, you can make the sort of he did marry them all. Um, he did marry them all. Um, so that's a huge thing. But but most people don't have a standard. So I, the, the the title of the episode is post. We don't have to stick to the precise title, but post Christian. Um, I I would argue that um, you know, in some ways we we'll go back to sort of a you know, in a, like a sort of more power-oriented culture in the sense that, you know, might makes right, arguably. that That's what a post-Christian culture. It will have um, some sort of feministic tones, but I could argue that when they do have it, they're more, more power plays in that regard. So I, I think there's a certain extent that the post-Christian sexual ethics will be very little or there'll be, you know, a, a return to the sort of you know, the Roman system and the worst aspects, certain, as, certain parts of the worst aspects, arguably, um, um, to some extent, um, um, if, if we truly get a, a post post system. I always say that's be a full circle then. So, um, Swithin, I think you, you could wrap it up if you want to pass back to Rick for a comment, but that's fine. But um, what, what, what do you make of that? And any final comments with them? Yeah, the current sexual ethics are odd. Um, in one sense, with I mean, in uh, oh, is is in California you have the affirmative consent law that kind of every stage of uh, sort of foreplay, et cetera, et cetera, has to sort of almost have a written contract. Can we go further? Yes. Uh, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you have um, what seems to be uh, to some extent a, a normalization of minor attracted persons at the same time. Um, and you, so you, we seem to be going to sort of like, yes, consent as long as anybody can give consent. Uh, that is a possible uh, way that things are going. Um, now, that would make sense in the fact that children don't aren't cared about at all, particularly, uh, which is obviously an abortion uh, with this whole thing. Um, so that's 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 a potential um route it's going but um i think it's obvious that the current sexual ethics are hugely schizophrenic uh, in the west and which is unsurprising um which way it will go is i don't think obvious uh, rick any final statements well i i would tend to agree with um a figure or be a fairly controversial one uh, a figure like uh, professor edward dutton uh, i i think that where we see greater sexual libertinism, I think, I mean, certainly we see this on Tinder. We see a smaller number of men 
uh, attracting and having sexual relations with larger numbers of women. Now, um, I mean, Tim, of course, pointed out the example of Donald Trump. Bizarre, wasn't it? You know, that he's um, he becomes the president and yet Christians are making allowances for him, uh, despite him, you know, being a sort of King Solomon figure and, you know, having all his women, having his affairs and that sort of thing. Because we, we kind of expect it from Donald Trump being you know, quite a high power, high testosterone figure. But then what we also saw was him using his position of responsibility to say, hold on a minute, look, uh, this is actually what's good in society. Um, trying to encourage and to strengthen certain um, Christian um, ethics, especially you know sexual ethics, that sort of thing, in in American society. And so that's why the Christians were making certain allowances. But where do we see things going generally? I think Tim has a good point saying that uh, we're heading towards more sort of perhaps you might argue more Nietzschean uh, uh, might makes right power situation where the men. Uh, who are, you know, higher testosterone, uh, never mind about their intelligence, they'd probably be lower intelligence, are going to be attracting more and more and more women. You know, the bad boys, um, um, they're going to be attracting more women. They'll probably be having all sorts of children out of wedlock. And so we, we will start to see, as Professor Dutton uh, believes uh, a polarization in society where one part of society will be drifting off in this uh, situation where you have a small number of men with a sort of harem and um, children perhaps legitimate or, or not so uh, all around them and, and these will tend to be lower IQ higher testosterone and of course on the other side you will see you know, the, the meek who inherits the earth, you will see conservative people um, uh, having lots of children as, as they tend to, uh, perhaps selecting more for intelligence and um, uh, certain uh, well-behaved, shall we say, more civil uh, values in the men. And, um, uh, you know, they will also make up uh, a more significant bulk of society in the future. What that will look like, I'm, I have no idea. Oh, final comment regarding that. Uh, it will be interesting uh, to see if the differential birth rates of um, immigrant communities remain as high as they are, because that could well change uh, the balance, especially if uh, uh, the Pakistani Bangladeshis, who currently have a particularly high birth rate, maintain that in England. Uh, the Hispanics possibly in the US, that could uh, certainly change the culture uh, as to how these things play out. I'd just like to thank Rick for joining us again and for everyone who got to the end. And if you'd like to contact the show for any reason, uh, any uh, comments, uh, criticisms, ideas, new shows, please contact us at uh, mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.